You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Uh, now, today we have arrived at our, uh, our final message uh, in our Assembled for God's Glory uh, series. We've been focusing on the church over the past uh, six weeks, focusing our eyes on what the church is and, and, and what it was meant to be, what it, what it means to be, and what it means to be a member of the church according to God's word. Now, through our study, we've learned that the church begins together, uh, the church abides together, that the church connects together, the church shares together, the church submits together, and then today, we're going to close off our final message with the church commits together. Now, if you've missed any of these messages, we have them all online, and we'll be keeping them there for, for the future to refer people back to uh, our understanding, by, uh, according to God's word, about what the church is uh, but today we're going to focus our eyes on the biblical charge in God's word about how the church commits together as members of the body of Christ. Church membership is a commitment. Now when it comes to membership, by and large, as a society, we are a committed people to membership on many, many different levels. You know, we commit ourselves to being members of clubs, members of societies, members of leagues, members of teams, members of health clubs, even members of shopping stores. How many Costco members do we have out there? Yes, many members. If I just ask you to open up your wallet, you're going to have a whole bunch of cards there showing all your loyalty to different kinds of stores. You're members uh, to these stores. Now, Membership comes with all kinds of commitments, right? Depending on what kind of membership. If you join some kind of a, a, a hockey team or, or maybe a dance club or any kind of sport or a boys or a girls club, there are commitments that you have to make if you're going to have your child on that team, right? You, gotta, you have to commit to being up early for practice, hockey bums and dads, if you're used to that, getting up extremely early for practice with your kids. Uh, you got to dedicate your weekends uh, for travel to tournaments and games. Uh, you have to pay your fees and your dues. You have to fundraise and volunteer. I know that's so much fun. You have to show up for meetings and on and on and on it goes. It's a commitment to be a member of these things. And, and we readily give ourselves to these things, right? But when it comes to the church today, commitment to membership is on the decline. So according to a recent Gallup poll, I've got some numbers uh, behind me, a little graph there. Uh, this comes from the United States. Uh, church membership is in the decline, especially amongst our newer generations. For example, uh, if you are of the traditionalist generation, you could slide your hand up, maybe you don't want to, but those uh, who were born uh, bet- uh, before 1946... Uh, 73% of traditionalist generation who claim to be religious, 73% of them were members of that religious society, that church. Now, if you were a baby boomer that's uh, born between 1946 and 1964, we see a drop. 66% of those who claim to be religious were members of a local church. 
Now, if you are a religious generation Xer, and that would be me, right? 1965 to 1979, 65% were members of a local church. Now, if you're a religious millennial, the millennials are always getting picked on, I know. You're born between 1980 and 2000, only 57% of you who claim to be religious are a part of a church. And then we have the Generation Z where we have a bunch of question marks. There's not enough information to know yet. We're still waiting for those numbers. But if you look at the trend, it's on the decline. And then if you look at the numbers even deeper, you'll find that inside of church membership, there's only a core of about 30% of your average church membership who are actually committed. And so what's going on here? Well, in Mark Dever's book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, I would... uh, tell you to go out and get that really, really good stuff for you to learn about what a healthy church is. He argues that our current age is one of commitment phobia. He says, commitment phobia is the fear that in promising to do something good, we will miss out on getting something even better. And so although we see many good things we can be doing, we would rather just keep our options open. Brothers and sisters, the trends are revealing that while membership to to many other things is on the incline, church membership is on the decline. So what do we do with that? What do we do with membership then as the church? Do we just kind of start moving away from it? Do we minimize it? Or do we just reject it altogether? Well, we believe in church membership here at Redemption. And we desire membership for You, we desire that for the church, not because it's a tradition, not because it's pragmatic. We desire it because it's biblical and because it's good. So today, as we close out our study on the church, please please know that we as your church leaders, we believe in church membership and we believe that it's vital to the spiritual success of the church. And so as we look today, we're going to be looking at a whole bunch of biblical commitments today. We want to be praying against our fleshly desires and against our generational trends and we want to embrace membership wholeheartedly. And we want to be convinced by God's word and by his spirit that membership in the church is right and it is good. It should be the natural and supernatural outflow of transformed hearts. And so as we turn to that this morning, let's pray and seek the Lord's help. Lord, we do thank you for gathering us. We thank you that we are here as the redeemed, those who you have purchased by your blood. Lord, we were just singing songs about the king. And Lord, we walk in here this morning as servants of the king. And the king has also promised to build his church. And he has privileged his people with being a part of his church. That's how he does it. He he builds his church through us. Lord, we praise you for that. What a beautiful plan to use such unworthy, unrighteous, helpless people But by your spirit and by your word, as you transform us, you bring us together as your body, as your bride, as your temple. It's glorious. And Lord, as we think about those things, as we've been studying over the last six weeks about this, Lord, would you just create in our hearts this desire, 
a desire to be a committed member of God's church. I thank you, Lord, that we have commitment here, that many are already members by function. They are fully devoted, and we thank you for that. But Lord, as we open your word again this morning, as we, we look all over your word today, as we look at commitment, only you can produce that fruit in us. And so we ask for you to do that in the name of King Jesus. So like I said, today is going to, uh, to be a little different than most Sundays. I got a fairly long list of commitments. We've already studied a lot of the foundation and, uh, and the what of the church, but today is going to be that so what, right? So we've learned a lot about it. Now what? What does that mean for me as an individual, as I'm thinking about becoming a member? And so today we're going to be looking at a lot of individual scriptures, and so I have a lot on the screen. And so you can try to keep up with your Bible. If you can't keep up, we're going to put most of them up there for you this morning. But we've already looked at many things about the church. We've looked at the church abides, the church connects, the church shares, the church submits. Now inside of those concepts, we want some ground level concrete application. Like what does this mean for my life and what does this mean as I commit? What is the church asking of me? What is, his, what is God's word leading me to? And so the first thing that we, we want to commit to as a church is commit to abiding in Christ together. And we're going to see three ways that we're going to do this. And the first is, in my abiding in Christ together as the church, I commit to being a baptized follower. A baptized Christ follower. In the beginning of Acts, right after the, the Spirit fills the church and, and Peter preaches uh, that powerful sermon uh, for, the, for the people to repent and be baptized, Acts 2.41 reveals... So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now we know that baptism doesn't save, right? But in, in, the, in, the, in the first days of the church, baptism and salvation were so closely connected that the terms were often used synonymously. Uh, the text says here that 3,000 people heard and believed and were baptized. We need to just let that blow our minds for a minute. Oh, how that is our prayer here, that we would preach the gospel and people from all over South Calgary would repent and believe and trust and be baptized. They received the word preached. It means that they, they received the truth and they believed it. And then in an extremely short time, in the same day, 3,000 people were baptized. And then it says, they were added. Added to what? They were added to the church. You see, although the, the door of the church is always open for any person to come and sit and visit and to partake among us, church membership is made up of born-again, regenerated, baptized Christians. As God saves people from their sin, remember, he saves them to the church. And these are born-again believers. And they declare their born-againness through the symbolic ordinance of baptism. Remember, Jesus was baptized himself. And then he commanded his disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to, to make disciples and then do what? To baptize them. So it seems like baptism is a pretty big deal 
to Jesus. And this was also the testimony of the church through the rest of the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament as people repented and believed. They were always baptized and added to the church. Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see added. Acts 5.14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. Added and numbers. And so we look towards adding believers. Adding believers as members to our church. And baptism, according to what we're seeing here in Scripture, is a necessary prerequisite. And so when it comes to membership here, we ask you, not by our authority, but by the authority of Christ and the testimony of the Scriptures, to commit yourselves to believers' baptism. And so we ask ourselves, have we been baptized as believers? If you haven't been baptized as a believer... Come talk to me. We would love to walk with you through that. Now, if you're a believer, you should be baptized. And if you want to be a member, you have to be baptized. And that's why you'll see one of the very first questions on any of our, our membership application forms is, is, have you been baptized as a believer? Have you been baptized since you have come to faith in Jesus Christ? Baptism is a public declaration of what the Lord has already done in your heart. It's a picture of that inner work that's already been done. And so let's ask ourselves, have we been baptized as believers? Are we sure? And so we commit to being baptized believers. And then on top of that, we have to commit to be growing disciples. Am I a growing disciple? Now, you've heard me say over and over through this series uh, that the New Testament church wasn't a stagnant church. It was a growing church, both in number but also in spirit. That we are, as Ephesians says, to grow up together, to build each other up. And so as you contemplate becoming a member of, of the church, you have to ask her that question, am I committed to growing? Am I committed to maturing? Like Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And so as the Spirit indwells us as believers and as we abide in the Lord through his word and through prayer, he grows us. And although a newborn starts its growth on milk, as it should, there's a time to stop with the milk and start eating the meat, right? Or for those who aren't meat eaters, grown-up food. There's a time to start eating grown-up food. God's, God's plan is not to keep us on milk. His plan is always to grow us. But we have to give ourselves to it, right? We have to commit ourselves to it. The writer of Hebrews was, was, was talking about, warning about apostasy in the church. And he was rebuking uh, some in the church for not growing. He writes in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. And so we see here growing, growing from the milk, growing up in your faith, getting on the grown-up food and maturing in the Lord, growing in the Lord. And this happens as we, as we take God's word in, as we, as we study it, as we understand it, as we apply it deeply and personally into our lives. Uh, it takes work. It takes work. It takes discipline. If you don't eat adult food, you won't grow. 1 Timothy 4.7 says that we are to train ourselves for godliness. Later, Paul would also write that it takes toil and it takes striving to grow. It takes effort. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. The Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor in cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, just leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. And of course, all of this is in the grace of God, empowered by his spirit, informed by his word, in the collective of the saints. And so if we want to grow, we need to ask ourselves, am I growing? And will I commit to growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as a member of his church? This is one of the commitments that, that we're going to be pursuing as believers together, the commitment to grow. And then with the commitment to grow, we also need to be dependent. Will you commit to be a dependent believer? So friends, as much as we need to strive much more we need to be dependent. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, Psalm 127. The same goes for our committing to abiding. Just as Jesus said in John 15, 4 to 5, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in, v, in, in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so friends, we ask ourselves, are we dependent? Are we depending on the vine? Are we holding fast to the root of Jesus Christ? Are our branches, as we are branches, are they being fed by that rich sustenance of his word? Are we seeking his face daily through prayer? We're not looking for members who are self-sufficient. We're not looking for Pharisees. We're not looking for members among the dead branches. We're looking for members um, who don't have it all together. There's nobody that has it all together. We're looking for members who know that they don't have it all together, that they are fully dependent on the vine. And you can tell who those people are because they're stuck to Christ. They're immovable upon Christ. 
His lifeblood is flowing through their veins. These are people who know that apart from Christ, they can do nothing. And so we ask ourselves, is that me? Is that you? And so will you commit with us as a church to being fully dependent? We don't do anything in our own strength. It is useless. So becoming a member of the church is much more than belonging to some loyalty program. It's much more than, than some kind of membership that has benefits. It's, it's more than choosing to belong to some kind of association uh, or some kind of a sports club. First, you have to qualify, like we said. You're qualified because Christ is qualified and because he saved you and because you believe you've repented of your sins and trusted in him and you've been baptized. That's the entrance point into the, the membership of, yes, the universal church around the world, but the local church body as well. And so we commit to that. Have I, have I been baptized? Have I believed truly? And then we continue to commit to be a growing disciple and fully dependent on the Lord all the way. We commit to abiding in Christ together. That's our first larger commitment that we're making. Now in week three in, in this series, we studied Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 and 4, and we saw that membership is rooted in this biblical metaphor of being a functioning part of Christ's spiritual body here on earth. But what does that practically look like? What does our church believe are healthy ways to live that out? And so we commit Number two, we commit to connecting as the body. Connecting as the body. First, we see that in connecting, I commit to being a faithful worshiper. A faithful worshiper. We remember the very first church as we studied in Acts that they devoted themselves to constant connection and worship together. Remember, they couldn't get enough of God and they couldn't get enough of each other. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then down to verse 46, day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They were together, connected at all times. They devoted themselves, it says, day by day. We walked through that already. This continual worship of the Lord together. Now as, as that first New Testament church is an example for us to follow. We need to commit to being faithful to show up as they showed up. They showed up for worship. And so we apply that to ourselves. This means that I show up regularly. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near, the end is coming. So brothers and sisters, your showing up isn't just good for you. What we're seeing here is that it encourages others. You know, you may have had the worst week of your life, but every Sunday... 
My loving church family is waiting with arms open wide to receive me and also to, be, to receive the encouragement that I bring by just showing up. The text says the days, the day is near. The days are getting evil. Christ is coming back. There is an urgency to this call to be a part of his church. We are in those last days. And so the trend shouldn't be that we're meeting less. It should be that we're meeting all the more. And so primarily Sunday, the larger gathering of God's people should be so important so large in our minds that if we miss, we would, we would miss being there so much. We couldn't wait to get there the next week. And so we make choices in our life. So as we commit to this, we commit to making choices to prioritize the gathering of the saints. But then also, we as a church don't just believe we gather on Sundays. We gather throughout the week in each other's homes like this church does. We have small groups Discipleship happening, prayer gatherings. And so we show up and we, we pray that we would be faithful and regular to those things for our good and for the encouragement of our church. Next, we sh I show up eagerly. So whether you're scheduled to serve or not, your desire to be with the Lord's people on the Lord's day compels you. It compels you to come ready, to come excited, to come early, to come eagerly. We have any diehard Disneyland, Disney World fans out there? I know that we have some. <laughs> or any, anybody that is really devoted to their sports team. When it comes to, to going to a game or, or your favorite amusement park and you buy those tickets... You don't plan on coming late. You plan on showing up early, right? You don't want to miss anything. Your heart wants to be there. You've been anticipating that day, and so you prepare for that day. You prepare the day before. You plan your clothing. You set the alarm. You prepare your food because you're eager to be with God's people on his day. We also show up prayerfully. The first church devoted themselves to the prayers. And the New Testament constantly reveals and calls God's people to be praying. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Always praying with one another and for one another, like our lives depended on it. It does. For those who were at our last prayer meeting, it was a sweet, sweet, powerful, spirit-filled time. Humbling ourselves before the Lord, seeking his face, seeking his will, having him in the right perspective. So as we consider committing to connect as the body, remember, as 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, it says, let us use them. God's word taught us already as we focused on connecting that each of us are uniquely gifted by God's spirit together as one body to be working together in harmony amidst our diversity for Christ's kingdom. And so we commit to being dependable as well. I commit to being a dependable servant, right? Operating within our abilities, according to our giftings, again, making ourselves available. When you become a member of the church, what you're telling the leadership of the church is that you're with them in the battle. That we can call from the back and bring you to the front, that we can depend on you to be in the fight with us and to get the work done of ministry. The heart of a dependable servant says to God and says to his church, I serve willingly, I serve faithfully, and I serve sacrificially. And so we commit to being dependable. We, we, we move our schedules around for, for the church as we plan four months out and, and we see the calendar of, of the church. We're like, I want to be there. And so I'm going to move that other stuff aside so I can be with the Lord's people doing God's work. So let's commit to be dependable. And along with that, let's commit to being responsible to being a responsible steward, our time, our talents, our treasure, our money. It's not really ours. It's the Lord's. We've been entrusted with it to steward it for his kingdom. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. As we're responsible stewards, it's not the last thing that we think about on payday. It's the first thing. As a member, you're communicating to the church and to the leadership that you have decided to give faithfully to the Lord, not reluctantly, but cheerfully, as 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says. To give to the mission of what this church is doing for God's glory on this earth. As, as leaders set out a budget, they can do so confidently, knowing that the Lord is providing through his people. Now, one of the greatest things we get to do when we get to connect as the body of Christ is to pour ourselves into each other. Discipleship, a member commits to being a devoted disciple maker. Not just a disciple, a disciple maker. So if we're not making disciples, what are we doing? Jesus modeled for us and he commanded that we are to go and to make disciples. And that starts right here within the community of believers. Remember, pouring the word into somebody else, pouring your life into somebody else. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. In Titus, he speaks about uh, the mature pouring themselves into the less mature. 
1 Thessalonians 2.8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. So when we speak about doing life together here at Redemption Church, when we speak about connecting together here, yes, we love to hang out. We love to hang out. We do fun things together, yes. But more than that, we need to be making disciples. Making disciples is at the core of connecting. It's not so much about what I need or what I get. Mark Dever says this as well. Joining a church increases our sense of ownership of the work of the church, of its community, of its budget, of its goals. We move from being pampered consumers to becoming joyous proprietors. We stop arriving late and complaining that we don't get exactly what we want. Instead, we arrive early and try to help others with what they need. We must begin to view membership less as a loose affiliation useful only on occasion and more as a regular responsibility involving us in one another's lives for the purposes of the gospel. We commit to connecting. We commit to abiding. We commit to connect. Next, we commit to share. We commit to sharing with the world. Right? We are... We are a worshiping church. We are a sending church. Remember, we don't have to wonder if we're sent. When Jesus said go, he's saying that you're sent. We're all sent. Our lives are to be lives of sending every day. Every day, Jesus sends us out into the world amidst the lost, sharing the love of Christ. So as a member, in sharing, I commit to being a compassionate citizen, loving the lost. Matthew 9.36, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They needed the gospel. But with the gospel, Jesus also tended to their needs. We see that as we're studying the book of of Mark over and over again. Jesus pouring himself, having compassion for the lost, for the sick, for the hurting, for the dying, and helping them. He preached The gospel, the authority of God's word like no other, but he was also lovingly helping. He was being merciful. James says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And so as a member, yes, we are not of this world. But we've been left until Christ comes back. To care and love and be merciful to those in this world. Our love never stops short of the gospel. As sent believers who are merciful, mercy always goes hand in hand with the good news. 
It always has to. They can never be separated. And so in that, as we're committed to sharing, we're also committed to being compelled evangelists. Compelled evangelists. We know that the world is lost in its sin because we were once lost. When Jesus interacted with uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, he said in John chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, he said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them, give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Friends, this was a very sinful woman, a very lost woman. But as she heard Jesus talking about her sin and sharing the good news that he was the Messiah, she was transformed. And she raced home to her hometown and she shared it with everybody she knew. John chapter 4 verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what? Because of the woman's testimony. She was compelled to share it. So in being compelled to share the good news, we're also courageous missionaries. You're saying, missionary? Me? Isn't that for somebody else, that that super Christian goes across the ocean? Isn't that their job? No. We're called to be courageous missionaries right here. Maybe across the world. This church plant here today, the Redemption Church, is the fruit of a church that believes in the mission. Our mother church is in North Calgary, and they believe in the mission. That's why we're here. They sent us out. And so our goal as a church membership, again, is not to be stagnant, but to be moving. Remember, the gospel has feet, As much as we're wanting to grow and to be healthy, and that is good and right, we need to be praying for what God is going to do next. We want to have a culture of being missionaries here, like missionaries right now, not missionaries later. Living out the mission every day, looking at South Calgary as a mission field, raising up from among us, mission-minded Members, people that will go to the ends of the earth with the gospel and they'll walk across to the Tim Hortons or across to their neighbors or over to the YMCA and be sharing the gospel and loving people with the good news. We want to be a part of what Jesus is building. We want to be a part of God getting glory all over this planet. Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the glory, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's happening and it's going to happen and we want to be found inside of that. God uses us to that end. This is why we're here. And so membership as the church tells us, tells your leadership that we can count on you. That we can count on you to be with us in this. That you are a courageous missionary. That you want to be on the front lines and watching what Jesus is doing. 
And so as you consider being a member, will you commit to sharing? Will you commit to be a caring citizen? Will you commit to being a compelled evangelist? And will you commit to be a courageous missionary? I recently read an article about the Moravian Church. Anybody hear about the Moravian Church? Yeah. So this was a, a Protestant church that began before the Protestant Reformation, about 100 years almost, under the teachings of Jan Hus in, in Prague. That's about 100 years before Martin Luther. Jan Hus was, was ultimately burned at the stake for protesting against the Roman Catholic Church. But then this church, under his teaching, started to take root among the Czechs. Until at one time, in Czechoslovakia, the nation was no longer Catholic, but Protestant. But then, with government change, they were ultimately persecuted heavily and, and by the Catholic Church as well, and they had to escape Czechoslovakia with their lives. In the 1800s, they had a renewal in Poland, and they began to have a heart for sharing the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. In fact, in the 1700s, they began to send missionaries out. And they sent a couple guys to the West Indies. They had hearts set on the slaves in the West Indies. And so they set out to sail. And they got to St. Thomas. And they were even willing to sell themselves into slavery so that they could reach the slaves. They had hearts that were on fire for the mission of Jesus Christ. And so we look at these stories and we say, that's amazing, but what are we doing? Where are our eyes going? Where are our feet going? Where are we going to make disciples? Not just making disciples here, but making disciples around the world. So what's next for us? Will you commit to share with the world? So membership is more than a club. When you commit to joining Christ in what he's doing through this local church here, you commit to being on board with the mission of this church. And so we commit to abide, we commit to connect, we commit to share, and then finally, we commit to following our leadership. Last week, we talked a lot about authority, right? the pattern of authority, in creation, and then God's authority through his word and, and through himself and, and through his son. And then there was also delegated authority to the leaders of the church. And so we as a church, in our commitments, we commit to following our leadership. God has delegated authority to the spiritual leadership of the church. And God has graciously giving, given Elders, overseers, pastors, leaders in the church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, like we studied last week, leaders keep watch over our souls as those who will have to give an account. Leadership that is held to a stricter standard. That under the great shepherd of Jesus Christ, God has called under shepherds. Delegated the authority to them to lead, to teach, and to guide the church. And so as you consider becoming a member, we, we commit to following the great shepherd, 
by following his under-shepherds. As we look at the Bible, we see overseers are called to oversee four major things in the church. We interpret that here as doctrine, direction, discipleship, and discipline. And the scriptures call the church members to submit to its leaders, right? And so together we submit and we commit to supporting our leaders' doctrine. So elders are are spiritually qualified. We talked about this last week. Spiritually qualified by godly character, by being able to teach 1 Timothy 3.2. And Titus 1.9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so we as a church are to get behind them in this. This doesn't mean that an elder, an overseer, is infallible. You don't follow a leader in the church into sin. You don't follow them into sinful doctrine. But as you compare what he teaches to his spiritual character, and if God has really placed these men in your life as overseers of your soul, we need to trust the Lord and support their doctrine as laid out by the elders of the church. And as we say that, elders are always open to questions. We're always open to hearing from you. We're always open, open to feedback. And so know that, that, that in this, as we set our doctrine, as we set our pathway forward, as we're looking at God's word and interpreting it and applying it, we're open to hearing from you. You can find our doctrinal statement on our website, And I can always give you a copy so that you know uh, part of becoming a member, uh, you're required to go through that and to read that and to check things against the scripture and then agree to supporting us in that. And what we want you to find is that, that we have primary understandings of what we believe that the Bible teaches for us as a church and we're asking you to support us in that doctrine and to follow it with us. Next, we need to follow their direction. The kind of elders God calls to lead are ones of humility. Titus 1, 7-8, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Again, not perfect, but followable. His life is followable. Their lives are followable. And so elders' decisions in the church regarding direction are not to be taken lightly. They don't take it lightly. And we, again, love to receive input as to direction. We're always open to hearing from our people. We also need to receive their discipleship. As elders watch over souls, they are caring for souls. And this involves leading in the word, teaching the word, training men and women, equipping you. Remember from Ephesians, equipping you for the work of ministry. Not merely hiring staff for the work of ministry, equipping the people for the work of ministry. Involved in counseling, 
And so we commit to that together to receive their discipleship, their direction as, as, as leaders make uh, decisions for the direction of discipleship in the church. Again, they don't take it lightly. They want to put things together. They want to plan because they, they want to succeed spiritually as a church. And so we receive their discipleship. And finally, we submit to their discipline. As the Lord has given elders to govern the church, they're also to be a source of caring for souls. Caring for souls amidst the troubles of the church. Brothers and sisters, the church is not perfect. Can I get an amen? It's, we're not perfect. We'll always have problems. Why? Because we're people. Because we're sinners. And so we're going to have conflict. In some sense, we need to expect that there will be conflict. And when, when sin and conflict go unresolved in our lives, in our relationships amongst one another, the elders have to get involved. The elders are to judge what's going on inside the body, to call people to, to, to repentance. And, and sometimes even to put somebody outside of the body of the church for, for the safety of the church, for the purity of the church, but also for the good of that person. Church discipline sometimes is an intentional move. A move for hope of producing repentance and reconciliation. Church discipline, when done rightly, is an act of love. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And so elders, given delegated authority, go slowly, go, go critically, go prayerfully, and we will pursue care for your soul and sometimes somebody has to be put outside the church out of care for them. What we're seeing in them is, is unrepentant sin. And we want to, to, to draw that out of them. That the, the spirit and the body would convict them to the point of that they would repent of their sin and come back. That's an act of love. That's an act of love. And so much more can be said, a whole sermon or, or two, about caring for souls and, and church discipline. But for this morning... What we need to understand is that we need to commit to submitting to the discipline of our leaders. So we commit to following our leaders. The church commits. We commit to abiding. We commit to connecting. We commit to sharing. And we commit to following. Now we have a slide up there with everything we just walked through. And as you think of all of those things. I know that it's a lot of content for, for one Sunday and, and it's coming at you pretty quick. And, and, and maybe as you look at that list, you're thinking that's a really heavy task. It could even come across as a heavy yoke that's going to pull you down. And if we look at these commitments the wrong way, it can become a heavy yoke. If we look at this list of commitments as something we have to keep in our own strength, it does become a burden that is too big to bear. Commitment to, to membership, yes, should have some weight to it. It should have some gravity, 
right? It's not a flippant thing. It's serious. It's serious in the eyes of our Lord. But if we only think of it as something that we should do, something that we ought to do, something that we have to do, we miss the whole point. Remember, when our ought to becomes our get to, we will ultimately want to. And when that happens, look out Satan and look out world because Jesus is coming to you through us. Being a member of Christ's body is is a massive, joyful privilege. It's something that we get to commit to with great joy because Christ has saved us from our sin and he has saved us to the church and he has filled you with his spirit and he is equipping you for this task. You don't have the strength to do that. You don't have it on your own. That's why we have Jesus. That's why we have a spirit. That's why we have his word. This is his plan for you. There is no plan B. You were made for this. But the key is that we don't approach this in our own strength. Jesus is the one who is faithful. Jesus is the one who will faithfully and surely do it. Paul writes in Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we join him. We join him in what he is doing. Remember, he promised that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Membership in, in his body is not man's idea. It's what he is doing. And so let's break the mold. Let's, let's break the trend. And let's set our eyes on Jesus, the finisher, and the perfecter of our faith. And as we're motivated by grace, and as we're in, informed by his word, as we're empowered by his Holy Spirit, as we delight in the mystery of, of being a part of his body, being his bride, being his temple, let's commit to joyful membership, meaningful membership, in the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. Uh, this morning is, is just a lot, a lot there for us to be considering as, as we, we desire to commit to being a part of your body. And Lord, yes, we're tempted to look at that list and, and think, I can't do that. That's too much. And it is too much. It's too much on our own strength. We need the strength of Christ. And Lord, we thank you this morning that, that by your gospel, by your good news, that we were utterly lost, that we were utterly sinful and, and self-sufficient. We were going our own way, each one of us going our own way. But while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus and he died for us. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. 
Lord, as we look at our salvation and what you have done, help us not to have such a narrow focus. Help us to broaden that to what you have done. You have not just saved us from ourselves. You have saved us to the church. And you have saved us to your body. And Lord, we praise you for that. What a privilege that is. What a joy that is. That should completely blow our minds. That you would use the unrighteous who are covered in your righteousness, those who are weak and needy, but those who are filled with the Spirit. That you would use us who, who often even still try to go our own way. We still try to worship ourselves and worship the world, but yet you walk before us and you are faithful and you are building your church. Lord, thank you for the good news. Thank you that, you couldn't, that we couldn't save ourselves, but you, you came and that you called us to repentance and faith by your death and by your resurrection. And as you're ascended on the throne in heaven and you're ruling over your church, Lord, we commit to you. We pray that your spirit would be doing that, that work inside of our hearts and that it would just be a joyous outflow of your grace into your church and into the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.